Welcome back to Coaching Kern, and I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here by Mark Wiley and Will George. This is episode 39 of Coaching Kern and Podcast Network, but episode two of A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Mark and Will, welcome back to the show. Great first week with Brandon Duckworth. We've got a special guest today. Um, really enjoy. I enjoyed the talks with you guys before the show as much as I do the show. I wish people could hear those as well. Great to be back, guys. I'm looking forward to another really good show. Yeah. Uh, Mark, and I'll let you, we have a special guest today from the New York Mets. I'll let you introduce him. You've got a long history, both you and Will do with him. Uh, introduce our guest for us. Yeah, well, our guest today is going to be Roy Smith. Roy's, Roy's at, at this time, he's, he's scouting since 2010 with the Mets, but he has a vast background of front office and playing. He eight years as a major league player, five with Minnesota, two with Cleveland, and a year with Baltimore. Uh, he has one World Series ring with the 1987 Minnesota Twins. Uh, he is he started off his career as a third round draft pick uh, who signed out of high school. Uh, he got traded a couple times throughout his career. Um, when his career was over in 1994, he became a scout with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, he moved up four years later to be a special assistant to the general manager in Pittsburgh, and then continued his path uh, upward to be assistant general manager and personal per, uh, player personnel director with Pittsburgh. Uh, then he went to, to become the vice president of scouting and player development for the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, from 2005 and 2006, and then went back to scouting with Pittsburgh, Toronto, and now, like I mentioned earlier, is with, with the Mets. Uh, Welcome, Roy. We're really glad to have you on with your vast background of playing in front office, and I think you're going to have some some good things uh, for us to dig into. Well, it's good to be here, guys. Well, Mark, I'll let you have Adam first here. And as, as our audience knows, we're about trying to build better baseball IQs for our grassroots audience, and we go as far up as major league front offices. Uh, so, Mark, I'll let you have that, Roy, first. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to explore was something that people don't talk about too much, and it's the difference in signing as an amateur out of high school as opposed to college. Um, I know Will uh, and you both signed out of high school. Um, you know, I know you've got some stories about it, but I'd like to 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 see what what it was like developing the minor leagues as a young player, the things you had to learn, things that maybe the older players, um, you know, may have even uh, bullied you some or made fun of you because you were younger. Um, just uh, just some of your experiences. Well, uh, I was drafted, but as you said, in the third round, um, it wasn't an easy decision for me because I had a I had committed to Stanford. So, um, you know, uh, Getting that degree was very important um, for me and and for my family, but deep down, I I wanted to be wanted to find out if I could be a big league ball player. So I decided to sign. Um, one thing I'm very proud of is I I did get my degree in the off season eventually, but I I know now that I made the right decision. I, I signed with the Phillies, which was a great organization at the time. Uh, Dallas Green was the uh, the farm director. They knew how to develop pitchers. Um, I I often think now, through my trials and tribulations, I, I would rather have had it happen as a pro, 
than in college. Um, and I, 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 I probably, by the way they develop pitchers now, um, I probably threw too much, but I think it helped me later on. I, I didn't, I never did get hurt um, bad. I never had an operation or anything like that. But in terms of learning how to pitch and thinking on my own, um, it's the best thing that happened to me. Will, do you have uh, some insight? Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I feel the same way. I shared this with Mark the other day. I, um, I had a full scholarship to North Carolina, um, and my passion was baseball. And my dad had played in the NFL back in the 30s, and, you know, he said to me, he said, you know, if you want to be a college baseball player, go to college. If you want to be a pro baseball player, go to play professional baseball. And that's why, you know, I, I decided to sign. Um, I knew that they knew the Baltimore Orioles knew how to develop pitchers. They had a line of Cy Young award winners in their organization. Um, I signed out of high school, uh, got to go out and pitch. They took care of my arm. Um, unlike college coaches who have to win, um, I was on pitch counts at that time, you know, but they were, they were push pitch counts that pushed me to be a horse and end up being a guy when I learned to throw strikes and figure things out that I completed a lot of games as a young pitcher. Um, and I, I made the same decision as you did, Roy, and don't regret it at all. So. Roy, Roy, I mean, you I, mentioned that you, you, you mentioned that you had uh, maybe maybe through too much. What's the differences between how pitchers were developed back when you were signed as opposed to maybe what you're seeing today? Um, well, for sure, they don't throw as much. And I'm not saying that that is always wrong. Um, I mean, I, I, I was kind of a holdout and didn't sign until August 1st. Um, I threw a complete game in the second game of a doubleheader my second start and then went nine my third start. Um, there, there are guys that get to the big leagues now never having pitched a complete game. Now, should I have gone nine, you know, pitching for the first time on four days rest at that age and I hadn't turned 18 yet? Probably not. Um, uh, when, as I look back, the other thing was, and Will can, uh, well, both Will and, and uh, Mark can tell you, you know, instru instruction league was a lot different then. So after I made those five starts in rookie ball, I went to instructional league, and and that was almost two months then, and I threw a lot. Yeah. There was a lot of there was a lot of five innings there. So by the time my first year was up, and I had barely turned eighteen, I had I probably got, you know, I probably got eighty six innings in. Today, oh, um, oh, and the other thing that the Phillies did, which you know gets a little technical, since I was a late sign, I only had you know back then it was only three years out of high school that you had to be protected. You know, today, yeah, yep. I, I never I never would have put a uniform on in a, in a championship game. I probably would have went to the complex, just thrown, and, and, and or I would have gone to Instructional League and signed a 1980 contract instead of a 1979 just to save the time. So everything happened to me fast. I was on the big league roster at 20 years old. Um, I was in the big leagues at 22. So... I, I, I don't know anything else, but but I do feel that 
I was developed. I, I, I don't have any regrets on the way I was developed, but probably giving me a little more time or maybe that, that year probably would have been more prudent. Um, but, to, but, today for sh- but, but today for sure, I, I wouldn't have been allowed to go as deep into games as I was early on. Um, I, I know, you know, I, I, I played in the Carolina League at 18. I was the youngest guy in the league, and I didn't miss a start. I threw through 170-odd innings, which I don't think was too much, but I definitely felt it at the end of the year. And I still was – I was still – they still brought me to Instructional League. I don't, I don't think that was necessary. I probably should have just gone home, gone to college, and and taken the rest of the year off. Mark, go ahead. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of been said about you know usage and and back in those days, even when I pitched was was quite a bit earlier than you, Roy. Um, they didn't track what you'd done before you signed. You know, they drafted high school kids and college guys. And they didn't know how much you had thrown before you even signed. So, you know, because I ran into that uh, personally and with other players, um, when I became a coordinator and then director of pitching operations, I came up with, uh, we had all our scouts, when a guy got drafted uh, and we signed him, we had a full report on every inning he'd thrown for the last couple of years. Minor, right. whether it be an amateur high school player, uh, you know, any type of player that we signed, we wanted to know his experience level because exactly what you said, Roy, if you were probably pretty strong and minimize the chance of injury just because you were a stronger guy. But some of these kids aren't that strong yet, and they're very vulnerable if you don't know what their workload has been. And then we came up with a, a – a criteria for development at every level. So you weren't pushing people. You were making people accomplish certain things and learn certain things before they were able to move up. Right. Sometimes that gets short circuited. Sure. Yeah. uh, Because of need or injuries at a higher level. But, but I felt like it was really important. And I think in today's world, we may have gotten even more overly protective of guys. Because I, I, you, you, to learn this craft, you have to play. Uh, well, you can't I, learn to be a big league player and not play. You cannot be injured and 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 not be able to play. You know, right. you have to have experiences. So I think that you know the good organizations pay attention to that and they balance it out. Uh, but they certainly are more aware than they ever were back years ago. You know, I I I don't think anything that happened in season was was wrong for me when as I look back and I'm, I'm thinking about it now I think you know I I, I at one point in double a my first year in double a when I was 19 I threw three straight complete games and I felt fine but why why did I go instruct to instructional league after my first full year after not missing a start and then the following year after my first year in double a I kind of got pushed into going to winter ball there was no need for me to go to winter ball, none. And it was following that year that I was put on the roster at 20. So I left winter ball around Christmas time after throwing another 70 or so innings, you know, get my total to like 220 when I barely turned 20. And then I'm, I'm in big league camp on like February 15th. 
So I, you know, it, it it wasn't it wasn't the in season stuff I think that hurt me. It was the it was all that extra stuff that truly wasn't necessary, you know. And um, in my case, it wasn't injury. I just lost the yard off my fastball. And back then, you know, all of the all of the things they have to make maintain your strength um, was frowned upon. So I I, I definitely lost some strength. Um, I, I think things turned out the way they were supposed to turn out. But I know I didn't throw as hard afterwards, and it wasn't because I got hurt. It was because I just I just lost something there because of uh, you know all of that extra stuff after the season. You look back now, you you know I at that age I didn't miss a start. What was the point in going to winter ball? You know. No, those those are such great points, Roy, and I think we've gotten so much smarter at understanding the arm, but, but like we're, we're overly protective as Mark just said, you know, like we've learned that stressful innings when you throw 25 to 30 pitches, that's where you start to take risks of injury. Um, you know, for, for me, I was an 18 year old in the Florida state league. I won 11 games early in the season. I had a hundred and 40 innings and uh you know then the following year well i ended up getting mono i threw 170 innings and missed six weeks of the season the next year i went out and pitched with a pulled hamstring and now a trainer would never let you pitch with a pulled hamstring right and and, and that's how i hurt my shoulder i ended up tearing my rotator cuff so we have gotten smarter but in our smartness and trying to play God and be overprotective and think that we can stop injuries completely. I think we're hampering developing starting pitching and guys who really know how to pitch. So, I, 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 and we haven't gotten the, um, we haven't figured it out yet, you know, uh, uh, limiting these guys to the extent that we are now, um, you know, that, that it hasn't, it hasn't helped us in terms of um, curbing the injuries and it certainly hasn't helped you know, the development of starting pitchers. I mean, that's, that's one of the big reasons it's, 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 it's one of the things, the sad parts of the game now that, um, that, that you, know, we, you know, we talk on here all the time. What's the definition of insanity to keep doing things that we know aren't working? You know what? We're spending more time in the weight room. Well, is that actually protecting us from injuries? We're, we're overprotective with pitchers. Is that protect? No, none of that is working. Why don't we try to really try to figure it out and maybe take a step back, use the use the things that make some common sense, like stressful innings and throwing too many innings, too many, you know, you, you know like you said, you know, like I, I did the same thing. You know, I threw 170 innings that year and went to an instructional league for two months and threw another 100 innings. that was that was the unnecessary part you know again i'm thinking this through i I mean wow you threw you threw three straight complete games at 19 years old in double a yeah and when i think back i did not feel it i i I was i was fine it wasn't it wasn't where i started feeling any strain it was until afterwards it just you just can't throw all year round You, you just can't you know and and um i i was looking at my pitch counts on uh baseball reference uh, in the big in the big leagues in '89, I threw 136 pitches against the Yankees, which obviously would be unheard of today. That's Came great. back and, and weighed eight, in, eight innings against Oakland and threw 117. And and look, 
was I a little a little more sore? Yeah, but I had learned how to, you know, get through the yeah. in between start stuff, know what my body was telling me, and I got through it. You know, it wasn't anything I hadn't experienced before. You kind of expected it, but in terms of in terms of oh my god, this is this is going to lead to an injury. No, it didn't even enter my mind. No, you know, when I signed, they talked about learning good pain versus bad pain. You know, good pain is you're stiff. You know, when you're playing catch, it ends up loosening up and you figure it out. You know, we had Alan Yeager on, you know, talking about, you know, learning your arm. You know, the more you throw, the stronger your arm gets and your arm tells you when you can't throw. Right. And that's what we were taught and we ended up learning what was good pain and bad pain. When I tore my rotator cuff, I knew it was bad pain. <laughs> so, well, and, and that leads us into what we have today, which is, you know, every, these kids are so dependent on, on the analytics and the science that are they truly learning themselves? No. You know, and, and, I, I, and I always say, if you, if you have to be led, you're, you're going to get beat, you yeah. know, because it's, it's, it's not only, from getting yourself better physically, if you if you have to depend on the the trainer and everything like that to figure things out, it's the same thing in a game. If you have to have the catcher or the pitching coach lead you on on what to throw and everything, you're never going to go to be able to go to Plan B. You're never going to be able to adjust in game, and and you will get beat in the end. No, the answer is not in your card on your hat. <laughs> no, the answer should be you if you're if you're a good pitcher. Well, well, part of this has come about and has gone backwards because of the emphasis on effort and velocity and those kind of things as like those are your goals, you know, not winning games, not learning to, to pitch, not having feel to pitch, not learning what your maximum controlled velocity is, um, maximum effort, but still under control. That's part of the big problem for me from being a director of pitching operations and a coordinator and being in baseball for 52 years. That's the difference I see now. We have a lot of technology. We've got useful stuff. We've got conditioning. We've got sciences on top of science. But you know what? If it's based on the wrong thing, if we're rewarding people for how hard they throw uh, and not making pitches. Well, Mark, all of this is limiting in terms of, of development of starters. Okay. You know, it's almost as if all of this, all of the way they're teaching pitching now is to get, get through one inning, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, we'll tell you once, once you get to a bullpen now in the minor leagues and, and especially in the big leagues, the game comes to a grinding halt. And one of the reasons is, is these bad deliveries and the emphasis on missing the bat. And it doesn't matter if you throw thirty pitches in that inning; they'll just get somebody else to, to yes. throw the next the next inning. Well, so, and so in terms of the starting pitcher, none of the stuff that you you mentioned in terms of of managing a game, of of um, of uh, understanding your 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 max velocity, where you get your best movement, and everything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't count anymore. And these kids are not even exposed to any of that. So that's just that's just gone. Well, there's more pitches thrown per inning now by trying to miss bats um, or outstuff people um, than there ever has been. And that's also the 
the development of relievers being one inning, even part of an inning relievers, uh, rather than throwing two or three innings because there's no responsibility in that. I mean, you know, a guy with good with with, with a good arm, you know, he may get out of an inning or in an inning, but he's only in there for an inning. There's not too much can happen, and that's what players are looking at. They're looking, boy, I got through that inning. I was successful. I'm out of the game now. Whoo! I'm glad. You know, there's, there's, there's no pride in taking the ball and getting deep in the game and limiting your pitches in an inning. Um, They, it's a lot of it is the, the players. There's, there's not a lot of players that have a viewpoint when they're pitching in a game to evaluate the situation to where they can limit their pitches or get a double play ball when they need it. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, Ron Darling said it on our telecast about a year ago perfectly. He said, when, in my day, my job was to get myself ready for that fifth day and get as deep into the game as possible. And, and, and we all understand that wins and losses are arbitrary. We, we get it. You know, there's a lot that goes on um, – you know, in terms of putting the W or the L on the pitcher. However, striving to get to the point where you're, it's your it's your game, that's that's the goal, you know, and that that's lost now. Now it's go as hard as you can for as long as you can. And yeah. there's you can't tell me that there's not, you know, why, why is, is, are guys like Verlander and Kershaw and Scherzer, why are those guys pitching pretty, you know, not – like it was 20 years ago, but pretty close to it at, at advanced ages. And, 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 and those are the guys at the older guys. They're still the guys that go on three days rest in, in, um, in the postseason. Why can they do it? And, and, and the kids now can't, you can't tell me that they're not capable of it. They absolutely no. are. It's what, it's, it's what we limit them or we're the well, ones that are living it. And, and, yeah, and, and, them and then the metal, then the metal, aspect of it gets into their head and they think that they've done the job because they've finished five innings. You ever, you ever watch a game? This I, I learned this over 50 years. You know, when you're a starting pitcher, watch what happens to some starting pitchers in the fifth inning of the game because that's the decision maker. That's where in today's world, they're going to get a decision. They may be done after five and they have a chance for a win, you'll see them self-destruct because maybe mentally or physically it's too much press, pressure on them. And that never happened before because we were five innings was nothing. We, we expected to get deep in the game. We wanted to throw a complete game. The only way we'd give the ball up is that the manager took it from us. Well, well, and the other thing is, is you know, changing your pattern. And and people people interpret that as as become a completely different pitcher the third time through. That's that's not true. All it is is a matter of changing your pitch selection in one or two or three key places. Maybe yeah. you throw maybe you throw your change up behind one zero, which you haven't done all game. Maybe you maybe you start a start a guy off with a breaking ball. Um, and 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 if you get that one out, I mean, any pitcher alive will tell you that one out and nobody on is everything. There's not a pitcher alive, no matter how good or bad he was. That doesn't take a deep breath after he gets the first out of the inning. Um, once you get to that point, everything's different. We, we've put so many so many constraints on it, and people that haven't been on the mound are telling you that you can't get through the, the, the order a, th- a third time. Well, it, it's it's because 
it, it's almost a control thing for these people. They've never experienced and they don't trust you to figure it out. And I find, I, I find that offensive. That's exactly you know, right. They don't trust you to figure it out. You know, Roy, you and I are in the ballpark early every day. And um, you see guys throwing bullpens with somebody with an iPad uh, looking at pitch design and shape. And they're not working on the foundation things that make you a good pitcher. And you mentioned it earlier about <clears throat> learning something for yourself and having a feel. You know, you have pitch strategists now who, who tell you, you, you know, it's like when you do the studying yourself, you learn something. When somebody else does it for you, you're never learning. You're just following a script. And that's, that's not being a pitcher. I would like to see guys become more responsible, have a foundation as a pitcher, and put the emphasis on command and execution and focus and have a feel of how to read a hitter's swing so that you can go first time through one way, second time through, third time through, and you have weapons to get people out. Yeah, we're I, not teaching that at all. Well, I, I mean, and, and Mark, will, you guys will love this because you know the guy. Uh, uh, Doc Edwards was the guy that taught me all of this, how to, how to manage a game. And what, what he did was talk to me after the game and not before. So when, when I was trying to develop my slow curveball and he was, he was pushing me to throw it more, one time I said, Doc, why don't you call some pitches? He goes, I will never do that because if I do that, you'll never feel it. You have to feel it. Yeah. So what he would do is the next day I come into the clubhouse and he grabbed me and goes, hey, Smitty, come on. And he'd pull out the pitching chart from the day before and he'd, he'd point to about two or three pitches or two or three situations to go, and he'll say, all right, what were you thinking here? You know, did you think about going this way? Um, there was one time where I gave up a double to a left-handed hitter later in the game where the first two times up I had, I had jammed him. And this time he turned on me and hit me for a double. And Doc says, look, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you remembered what he had done against you. But now things change. You're now managing the game. The only place he could help hurt you is the pull side. At that point, you, you've established in already. Make him do something the other way where he can't hurt you or the odds of him hurting you are, are, are less um, because the game, the, the, you're now playing the scoreboard. You're not, you're not, you know, and that, that comes into play and all that stuff, but that takes time. You know, we, you're using so many shortcuts and it's such a fallback to use the numbers, but th that isn't always, and I, and I would reference Jordan Montgomery's quotes on a podcast that, that um, the New York Post published the other day where, you know, and again, I'm not taking a knock on any organization or anything, but, um, well, to put it simply, he's using his fastball more now, now with the Cardinals, um, where he was limited before. And, and, you know, this is something in the stands that I was looking at, and I was like, you know, why has this kid become so predictable, you know? Um, and, and so he's, he's seeing that now. I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody, and I'm sure there's – you know, uh, a lot of examples of successes. But um, again, I keep going back to that limiting factor. You know, um, today, I can't help but think if, uh, and Mark, and you and I were talking about this the other day, Steve Carlton walks in through the uh, locker room at 18 years old, and somebody looks at his slider, and they're going to go, oh, great, keep throwing it. You know, just keep throwing it. Yeah. And you can and you can have a five-inning pitcher that just throws sliders. Throw that 70% of the time. Right, and what do you think they? What do you think these guys would do to um, uh, Bert Blylevin today? 
Right. You know? That's all you're going to throw. Curveball, 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 curveball. Which is great. Yeah, you're going yeah, yeah. to become a, a great four-inning pitcher. I you always know? laugh. I always laugh that that with the scouting report that says that I go. So you're not giving any credit credit to the major league hitter that once he sees enough of them, he's going to become better hitting it. Well, you know, it, was, he, he missed it. He misses it a lot. Well, yeah, but if you throw enough of them to a major league hitter, they adjust. That's why they're major league hitters. Well, exactly. That's never taken into account. I, I mean, you know, I, I think back in my career, well, like Larry Christensen. You know, when he was a reliever and threw off sliders, that's that's a whole different thing. I, I played with Steve Farr in the minor leagues when he was a uh, when he was a starter, but when he when he's a short reliever, he just he just threw that slider all the time, and that's what that's what made him a great short man. You know, a, 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 a closer. But that's he's only facing the you know he's not even facing the whole lineup. You know, totally different. We we you know the whole let's take the slider individually. The whole point of the slider is it looks like your fastball. The more right. you throw it, the more you throw it, the less it looks like your fastball. And since, since everything is taken in and, and 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 told to a pitcher in a vacuum, the um the the, the, the chance that the hitter might adjust is not even factored in. I, I I pose this question to the analytics kids all the time. Give me the numerical value, the added weight you put on a pitch when the hitter thinks something else is coming. Tell, tell me, tell me the added value to it. Put a numerical, a numerical value to it. They, they can't. It? No, they can't. Is. They can't because because they don't believe that that's the case. They think every every time, and I and I found getting freezing a guy on a fastball away when he was looking at my curveball was more satisfying at some point in my career than blowing my fastball by him because I know I out outthought him and I know I had pitched. They they think it's because the guy thought it was a ball. I go right. no. That, that was that that guy was out when the pitch was halfway to the plate when he realized that it wasn't what he was looking for that he that he was just he was just frozen and he couldn't pull the trigger and you know because of the analytics on the hitting side we see more hitters take two strike cockshot fastballs that you go my gosh what's he looking for other than the fact that he was guessing because he had a false sense of security that the analytic people were 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 going to lead him to having a good at bat that at bat with Absolutely. two strikes. You know, it's just um, there's a, there's a, uh, 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 there's a middle ground here. You know, I, I just I, I think I think um, uh, Madden is is right when he says, "Give me the information and let me." disseminate it and, and give it to the players in a way that they're going to understand. And that might be an individual thing, but our, our long uh, pre-series meetings aren't, aren't going to do it. Pre-game you know, just... uh, is not going to, get... you know, somebody posted it the other day. Uh, you know, how about, how about uh, a wisdom with a splash of analytics? Yeah. You know, that's what we need. We need to incorporate those things but the wisdom of the game is going by the wayside. Little things just don't happen that need to happen for the game to be played at the highest level. Right. You right. know, the, the, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Doc Edwards because I played for Doc and I coached for Doc in the big leagues. And he was probably one of the most knowledgeable pitching guys for a manager there was. We used to have like seminars with our pitchers, Buddy Black, John Farrell, uh, Tom Candiotti, 
Greg Swindell, all of our starters, we would sit down and talk about all these things. And so they could make decisions because there's no major league, a good major league starting pitcher that doesn't have opinions and can't make decisions. And that's what we've trained so much now. We tell them everything to do so they don't learn it. They don't learn it. They don't get the feel for it. And Doc was outstanding after meetings, you know, after games. He used to he'd do that with our big league staff. We had a guy that had trouble or did real well. We'd call him in the in his office, and Doc and I would talk about the game, what he could have done better. Did he see this or see that to make him better? It doesn't happen as much anymore. No. Um, I, I worked for Cal Ripken Sr. Cal Ripken Sr. had real opinions on pitching. You know, one of his main one was – you know, don't spot the ball. He says, if you, if you're trying to locate so fine by spotting the ball, you lose your natural spin velocity and action on the pitch. This is a manager. This is a manager whose son's a hall of famer. You know, he knew these things and he taught those to the pitchers, you know, Earl Weaver, you you know, he was, he had some funny stuff. One thing he used to say is, I don't know how to throw a curveball, but I know what a good one looks like. So teach him that. Right. You know, like those are great time stuff, but this is the stuff that was said among baseball people and taught to players. Now, okay, we've gone quite a bit on this subject and we've covered a lot of the questions I was gonna ask. I will give you two more questions, Roy. One is uh what do you think's the most important thing to becoming a major league pitcher? That's the first one. Um well, there's a number of things, but if I had to pick one, I would say, given given a a minimum uh, uh, level of arm strength, I would say the ability to repeat your delivery. Right. No, that's good. That's good because that's the foundation that Will always talks about. I mean, you're not going and you're not going anywhere unless you throw uh, uh, at a certain speed. But if you can't get it over, you know, so what comes first, the chicken or the egg? But yeah. given given a certain a certain level of arm strength, let's say the ability to throw ninety miles an hour or ninety two, it then becomes can you repeat your delivery? Right. You know, Roy, we talked about it last week a little bit. Is you know we're looking at the the end product and the shape as opposed to building the foundation, so you don't have to worry. The shape will always be there. The command will be there. Uh, the deception to the hitter. If your delivery's right. All those good things are going to happen. You're going to maximize your stuff. You're going to uh, lessen your risk of injury. All those good things happen, but we spend all the time at the end product. Right. It's the same thing with the hitters that they're trying to teach to hit the ball in the air over the fence. You know what? Be a good hitter, and then we'll worry about going over the fence eventually. Right. You You know, so – I had to get the, put together a pitching presentation for the scouts of, um, years ago, and and one of the things I knew that guys that hadn't pitched wanted to know is what what are the red flags. So I, I talked to some guys that I really respected, and two of them you guys know, Pete Vukovic and and Dom Chidi, and you know I used both those guys because they had pretty much touched everything. They had they had pitched at a very high level, they had scouted, and they had been pitching coaches. And one of the things that um, that Pete told me that I use, I use in uh, scouting to this day in terms of a base is stay, stay, 
stay back, stay, stay close, stay tall, out front. Stay back, stay close, stay tall, out front. If you use that as a base, just a base, you know, not everybody does each of those perfectly, but the further you away you get, the further standard V deviations you get from that, the harder it is to project. And that, 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 I use that as my base when I'm scouting. Yeah, we covered that actually yesterday in our podcast, and I <clears throat> mentioned it's uh, balance, get into your legs, stay online, and finish. Same, you know, same thing, different words, uh, right? Same exact thing. So many good things happen when you do that, and now your mind can free up to go get an out, make a pitch down and away, up and in, make a, drop a curveball, strike one, whatever the – Whatever you're trying to do as a pitcher, when you have your foundation, you don't have to worry about anything else but going and getting outs. Right. I mean, I've tried to explain to non-pitchers, especially kids in the office, that once you're once you're into your delivery, you're, the mound is now, you know, you, it's you're just using simple physics in terms of the slope of the mound. It you you, you don't feel it, and and you know, Will and I have talked about this a lot. I I, sh- I should just have a stamp that I could put on, on my card that says, can't stay closed, gets rotational. That's where these kids think that they're, devo- they're, they're generating their, their power. It's not. Nice and, 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 right, and it's impossible to throw a, a good breaking ball that way, you know, where you're just flying open. But that's, they're, 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 they're flashing that, that front shoulder, causing themselves to get rotational. The, the, um, the, arm, the arm slot lowers just a little bit. And now, you know, the other thing I said, my my um, my thing is, you 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 don't want east and west; you want north and south. Yeah. And you know, when you fly open, the hitter sees the ball much sooner. Um, you know, the, the 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 usually the breaking ball is seen much earlier. The spin on it; the longer you stay behind the ball, the more it looks like a fastball. I mean, so many. Good things happen when you do those basic things, the foundations. I mean, north and south equals depth. East and west equals flat. Exactly. You know, that's that's the way I put it simply, you know. Okay, I've got um, – here's here's my final question. Um, when, you were, when you're scouting an amateur free agent or trading for a young, unproven pitcher, what are the some of the things you look for? Well, again, you get back to the basics. Can the guy last? So you're looking at delivery, um, and you're looking at at uh, fluidity um, and and uh, uh, athletic ability. You know, the, the better the athlete, the more apt he is to be able to make adjustments. But but past that, which is why, you know, I I could not make that decision without seeing the guy in person. Is does the guy have a concept? Does the, the the pitcher have a concept? And I'm assuming you're talking about a young pitcher in the um, in in a ball or something like that. Does yeah. he know? Th- does he know who he is? You know, I, I put a lot of emphasis on fastball aggression. Um, I think that's some that that's that's something that I'm not saying you either have it or you don't. But if you have it as a as a young pitcher, I don't. You know, especially maybe a a college or high school pitcher graduating to the pros. To me, it only gets better because now you're facing wooden bats. You know, if you're aggressive with your fastball and command command your fastball, you are now being able to control control the count. So I put I put, I put a lot of emphasis on that also. 
Right. We have a, a young audience out there too. We're, we're actually in 32 different countries with a lot of the grassroots players listening to the podcast. Tell the pitchers out there, the young ones, especially, what do you mean by being aggressive with your fastball? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a term saying be, that that's, you're not, you're not afraid of the bat, which is, and, and I think that's a little bit of a misnomer, but you know, to, to, you have to establish the optimum velocity. Whatever it is your, your optimum velocity is, you have to establish that to the hitter. Once you do that, then the hitter has to get the bat started to, to, to hit that, that whatever that velocity is. You then, you then throw your secondary pitches based off that. That has to be your base. Okay? So that's one thing. Two, it's the, it's the, it's the pitch that's the easiest to control. All right. So therefore, you know, you're, you're controlling the count. If you put it at, at, at its at its um, at its most basic, you're making the hitter hit beat you as opposed to you beating yourself. That's the way I always thought of it. So that that's that's it. Now, when, when you hear the term pitch to contact, I, I've never liked that term. What you're doing is pitching to the glove, pitching, pitching. You pitch to contact when you play pepper. What, what I, I read, I read something on Steve Carlton when I was real young, and he said that pitching to him was an accelerated game of catch. That he eliminated the bat and and pitched to the glove. Now he didn't really eliminate the bat. He was very cognizant of what the bat path was. But once he decided what he was going to throw and and he started his windup, the only thing he saw was the glove in terms of executing his pitch. Theoretically, you execute your pitch, it's going to be it's not going to be as good a contact. So I, I, I hate I don't, I don't want to say I hate the term. I understand what it means, but I don't like saying, hey, pitch pitch to contact. I would like I'd rather it be pitch to the glove. Yeah, no, those are great points. I, uh, I, I've got one more question for um, for you, if, if Mark or Will, if you don't have another one, I want to kind of throw this at Roy. You got Roy. This was a phenomenal interview. I mean, he gave a lot of information. Really good information that the not just the young kids can use, but the the college coaches, the high school coaches, the pro players. I think it was fantastic. We couldn't ask for better. I want to I want to take a look at uh, Roy Smith, the scout, now with all this experience, and then go back in time to Roy Smith, the seventeen year old that signed um, out of high school. How would you evaluate yourself back then? What would be a, a Roy? What would be a scouting report on Roy Smith, the seventeen year old? With um, all your well, he he had a good arm. He was a, he was a big kid. Um, the delivery probably had some some uh, some movement that probably needed to be eliminated. I was a drop and driver. Um, I needed to stay taller. I, I collapsed that backside a little bit. Um, as long as I was getting out front, I was I was very deceptive because of it. Um, and that again, that's growing up and emulating. I mean, Tom Seaver had a great, a, a huge influence on a lot of kids my age. Um, you know, it, where you grew up at Roy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said it's where you grew up at. You were Westchester. I right. grew up inside of Philly, so I tried to copy Carlton. Right, and That's and people did. But but you know what, Seaver, as great as he was, and and he was great, that works for him. It doesn't yeah. work. You know, you, you oh. know, dropping drivers. You have to have lightning arm speed, and you have to be a strong man. You know, slowly I had to straighten up a little bit, stop hitting my knee. You know, cut get my foot down a little quicker so my arm was out front more consistently. Um, but I, I, I know today, and I was told this by too many hitters, not for it to be true, that I had, I probably had a very high spin rate. Um, I, I know I had a very loose wrist. 
Um, and and that was able that that gave me the ability to spin the ball. Um, but I, I think uh, I, I I do wonder how I would have been in the big leagues had I maintained my velocity. But I don't know if I had been would have been able to refine my other stuff to the extent that I did uh, if I was able to throw harder. So you know, I I, I know as much as I thought I knew. I knew really nothing at that age, you know. Um, but I, 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 I look back, and I was, I was very lucky to have some really, really good coaches and managers. Well, you were a really good athlete as well, right? I, I like, I think I was, but no, you, know, I mean, you know, you played with the McCrays, right, in basketball, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, no, and 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 I tell people all the time, I, I you know I I had to fight to make the team, and I wasn't obviously as gifted as the guys I played with. Uh, the games were a lot easier as opposed to practice because at least I was playing with those guys instead of against them. Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing it gave, one thing it taught me was, um, here I was going to be a high draft pick. I pretty much knew that in my junior year. Um, you know, I was really good in baseball, but I it gave me a insight as to you know, what it was like not to be the star. You know, I was, I came off the bench. I was playing with two of the two of the most highly recruited kids in the nation. Um, obviously didn't have the internet like we do now and everything like that. We were the third ranked team in the high school team in the country. I mean, today, today I would, I, I mean, it would have been a huge, huge thing. And it, and it was then we, we, the team was marked. I, I actually took, the way the two McRae boys, how they handled themselves. They were both, you know, had both had great upbringing. They were humble. They handled the pressure that they were under very, very well. Um, and I took so much from that. They were, they were, those guys weren't emotional. They were very, not demonstrative at all. They never, they never concerned themselves with who they were playing against. And I think I took that into baseball. I never, I never even thought about talking to any of my opponents, never even thought about, you know, concerning myself anything other than that was what was going on between the mound and the plate because I just didn't if I did it as we were as it was drummed into us in basketball if you are thinking about something else you're not doing your job so you know I I I didn't realize what I learned from that experience of playing with those guys until later in in this era of specialization how do you feel about multiple sport athletes versus specialization well I I think I just you know the, my experience of playing two sports absolutely helped me. Okay. If, if I was, I was never out of shape. Um, it, it, it teaches you competitive instinct. Um, when I had to make the adjustment from being a, a hard thrower to making, um, uh, being a more finesse pitcher, you know, it's, it's a blow to your ego. Any pitcher will tell you that, but it wasn't the first time I had to figure things out. I was I was practicing against some guys that were much much better than me in basketball. It wasn't the first time that a, that a when a pitching coach said to me, "Roy, this is what you do best." Well, that's what my basketball coach kept telling me. You're not a jump shooter. Use your body. Learn you know learn some inside moves. Um, you know defensively. You know don't let the don't let the guy get by you. Don't you know understand what your what your limitations are. That's not the first time I heard that. You know, it's not it's not the first time I had to adjust to that. So and, and in terms of developing, you know, um, your overall athletic ability, I, th I think these kids that play baseball year round now, th th that's absurd to me. 
it, it, it's just it's it's absurd. There's so yeah. many there's so many things you could take from other sports and, and put into baseball. No, well, I, you know, I, I, I got your I'm point sorry. the first time around. I with the young kids in the audience, I wanted you to hammer it home for them because we we promote that a ton on this show, multiple sports. It's it's a loaded question for me because our audience knows I'm a former two sport college athlete, and uh, you know as a twenty as a twenty year old to twenty two year old, I couldn't give up either sport. So I we try to impress that upon our kids. I thought that was two great answers too. We appreciate that, Mark. Go ahead. Yeah, I was I was just gonna throw in there. I mean you've hit on something that's really important to me, and that's the ability to self-evaluate. And you learn how to self-evaluate by others giving you information too, not only yourself, and knowing what to use. I mean, I think a lot of kids today, you know, they've been told everything to do, so they've never really, nobody's ever really taught them how to self-evaluate and make decisions. No, and. When you scout amateurs, I used to go out and look at the best prospects in the country pitching-wise. And, you know, I'd always try to see glimpses of some of the things you mentioned, guys that were calm and and showed really uh, the ability to compete. Um, But I also see where they'd make evaluations, they'd make adjustments. They'd do stuff that the other kids didn't do. Right. You know, they had all the skills, but they did things – that it wasn't brute force. It wasn't, I'm bigger and stronger than you. I'll just outduel you. It was, there were thoughts behind it. And I think those guys end up being the better draft picks, guys that are more thoughtful. And I think that's why in development process, now you have to teach those guys how to self-evaluate because they're not really, they're told how good they are a lot. Yeah. But they're told what they need to work on, you know, what they sh- they can improve on to be better. All those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I do look at or try to ascertain when I'm looking at a pitcher is, is he, how much is he, again, being led or how much is he doing on his own? Is he calling his own game? You know, in college, you know, most of the time the game is being called for you. I, I, I know I went to see, I, I left spring training and went to see, um, I'm forgetting what Waka's Walk, first name is, um, but I went to go see him. Uh, I think he went to Texas A&M. They went to play Pepperdine. And he, he, reti- he, he, he retired the first 21 batters he faced, just throwing his fastball and changeup. Now, I wasn't gonna, the, the rap on him was he didn't have a breaking ball. Well, I went down to the bullpen and watched him throw to warm up, and he, he absolutely had a breaking ball. The thing was the coach was, was calling his pitches for him. He pitched to win. I mean, he truly probably could have, you know, on his own, he probably was better off just going with those two dominant pitches uh, to win the game because he 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 truly had the hitters going back and forth in a way that you you really felt that the guy was going to move really quick and through the minor leagues, which he did. So I realized he wasn't calling his own game, but at the same time, um, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to hold that against him because at least he was pitching to win. You know, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, you look at guys today, and we get as scouts, we get frustrated. We see a guy that's you know, he sees to be content, just, just doing okay. You know, not, not necessarily winning the game. There's, there's not a lot of passion showing. Matter of fact, there's a statement that, that I've heard before that contentment, contentment leads to complacency. When I see those kind of players that are complacent, that they don't have the intent to, 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 to win the game, to perform at a high level, you know, those are the guys that are a little bit scary to me. 
but, but we've taken that away. We've, we've, we've made winning the game um, kind of peripheral, you know? Um, you know, hey, you threw, you threw six good innings, that's okay. Well, beating the other guy counts too. You know, one of the, one of the here's, here's a, um, a, a meeting that I'll never forget. I, I was, my first instructional ball, as, as with most young pitchers, I'm out there, down there to work on my breaking ball. And I walked the, I walked the hitter on three straight curveball, four straight curveballs. And Billy Connors came running out to the mound, who was the, um, the uh, uh, coordinator at the time. He goes, what are you doing? And I go, well, I thought I was here to work on my breaking ball. And I, I remember the kind of, um, uh, like his face told me that, okay, we didn't explain everything. He goes, okay, look, Smitty. Just get them. Just just get these guys out. And and later on, he pulled me over the side. He goes, "Look, he goes, when you're on that mound, you're there. You're out there to win the game. I don't care how you do it. You're out there to get the guy out. What we're gonna do is we're gonna teach you and talk to you when you throw on the side in between games to such an extent that everything else is gonna be that all that stuff will become second nature. But make no mistake, even an instructional ball, you're out there to to win the game and get the guys out. And that to me has always been my my development philosophy that that if you're keeping score, it counts, and those are the guys you want. You want winners, you know. You're not, you we're not out there for style points. We're not out there, um, you know, for for you know your performance is, is good enough. You're you're part and parcel to whether you win or lose the game. So if you lose two, to, sometimes you, well, here's another one. Doc said sometimes you have to be you have to be the guy to win two to one, not the other guy. Right. Great point. Yeah. Will, you wanted to, you had one last thing. You uh, just, yeah. I, uh, I talked to a scout that scouted Roy and, and myself in high school. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if guys still do this, but he went and watched you play basketball and he saw how you competed and how good of a teammate you were. And he watched you pitch and, how well you competed and how good of an athlete you were. And that was all the things he did the same thing for me. He came and watched me play football. He saw that I was a leader as a quarterback and that I competed and I played hard and all those little things that all add up to the picture of making a quality guy that you want to take. And, you know, that's why you were a high draft pick, Roy, you know, and, you know, not just your stuff, all those peripheral things, how many guys do we go watch that you go, wow, he's got good stuff, but wow, he's kind of a wuss and he doesn't really compete. And when things go bad, the first thing he does is put his head down and stops competing. So, Absolutely. Yep. Well, guys, I think that was a great show. Roy, it's, it's, thanks for joining our show today. It's very easy to see why you're, you're successful as an athlete, but now that you're successful in sports after life and great messages to, young kids in our audience as well as the coaches and a lot of front offices are listening to us. So um, everybody out there, uh, you know, make sure we're following Roy. Um, Best of luck to the Mets this year. And and, uh, Roy, where can we follow you on social media? Uh, (laughs) I'm not on it. I I mean, I guess. Yeah. Good for you. We'll we'll, we'll promote our show. Um, (laughs) Great information. Mark and Will, awesome job uh, pulling that stuff out of Roy. But uh, we will be back again tomorrow. Uh, we have Jeff Fry, She Gone podcast tomorrow. Uh, special guest. I have to keep it quiet, he said, otherwise he'll hunt me down. So, guys, thanks again. Episode 39, Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. A day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. It's a wrap. Thanks. Thanks, thanks guys. I enjoyed it. Thank you for appreciate it. Yeah.